What's up? My name is Timothy, and I'm also with Houston, and we are going into part two of Who Not How. Um, look, we've lo- we've talked a lot about um, finding people that can be in your inner circle, finding people that can accomplish your vision and buy into what you've got going on and getting other people to believe into you. Um, but this next, this next part talks a little bit more about how you can be meaningful to other people. And for those of you that have maybe had some failures getting people to buy into you in the past, or maybe those of you that have tried to get some traction with your team, this is a good square one to say, how can I reset, reevaluate what my priorities are and, and, and maybe start adding value to other people first before you start asking them to add value to you. Uh, so in part two of Who Not How, um, chapter seven, he talks about how to be a good who for others. And before we dive into the content, um, let's get personal, Houston. I want to be a good who for you. Am I a good who for you? Gross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, like let's call this for what it is. One, a couple episodes ago, we did an episode on the inner circle by John Maxwell. So these next three chapters are like a deep dive into what John Maxwell wrote in 15 pages, uh, talking about the importance of having good people around you. But this comes from a little different perspective, especially in chapter seven about, well, how can you be the correct two for others to attract the people that you want? And I think that's a really important thing that we can talk about because we should always focus on what we can control. And we can't always control other people's actions, but we can always control our actions. And so what can we be doing to make sure that we're the right who for others? And I think on page 111, he starts out and he says, he's talking about this guy named Joe. He talks about him at the beginning of the chapter, but he says he sees relationships like he sees clothing. If an outfit doesn't fit right, is too tight or too baggy, or if it's not functional, then the relationship doesn't make sense. First and foremost, when it comes to connecting with someone, you should want to be connected to them. And so I think that's a really important thing where it's like, you know, there has been a lot of people in my life that I simply just didn't want to be connected to. And it wasn't because they were bad people or they weren't smart or they didn't have something to offer. It was just like, it just didn't fit. Right. And so I think that's one thing that the test of time with us specifically has gone over for, for whatever reason, our lives have meshed to a place where we just fit. And I think that's that's something where it's just like, is it natural for us to be good who's for each other? And and sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. But for the most part, for us, over the last thirteen years, I think the right who has been like, does it does it fit naturally? I would say like, yes, it does. So like, what are ways that you're a good who for me? You know, there's been a you know a lot of examples of of that in our our friendship of of you know me being comfortable you know we talked about in a previous episode like we're comfortable with like funny stuff like kitschy like uh oh i can tell you how much money i have in my bank account and you'll either be happy for me or you'll (laughs) help me get to my goal or you know how much you know what my goals are etc but i think on a personal level we've also been able to go to each other with with struggles and be super open and honest where it's not just like our financial success or failures or our career success or failures, but just naturally like a care for each other as like human beings. And I think that that's been something that's super important and super beneficial in our lives, which is one of the reasons why we're doing a podcast together, you know, 13 years later. I also help you go skiing more often. I'm skiing the least amount of my life right now. I see you wouldn't be skiing at all if it wasn't for me. I'll give you that. You we haven't skied in four years though. The last time I went skiing was for my baby moon before my firstborn, which oh my gosh was four years ago. I'm having this aging crisis. Yeah, we went to Colorado four years ago, four December's ago, four years ago this December, because that's the only time I've ever invested in cryptocurrency. I remember being at the Charlotte airport. (sighs) 
at that nice restaurant and I put a thousand dollars into crypto and it went down to five hundred dollars the next day. Real fast. And then if for three and a half years it stayed at about eighty dollars and I'm now just, it's I'm worth sorry. A lot more. I'm worried that I haven't skied in four years. Yeah, our ski trip's gonna oh. be I haven't either. And I think that I'm just gonna be able to throw on a pair of skis and have a great time all day. For I mean, two maybe. days. Ah, uh, we're in better shape now. I'm in better shape. We'll see. I, this is the longest I've ever gone in my life since I was five years old without skiing. Mm. But skiing uses different muscles. What muscles? Who can help me not, <laughs> <laughs> not not pull a muscle going skiing after four years of not skiing? Yeah, that was crazy. That was four years ago. But even in that time, like, um, you know, that ski trip was, was timed with, like, some very big personal negative personal events in my life and that yeah. was a good like getaway to be able to be like because we weren't living in the same city at the time we weren't working together at the same time so it's just a good like hey let's get away and and like catch up and chat and and do that which was uh it was well it was trip. funny i remember on that trip i was like hey is everything okay and you were like yeah, everything's fine well anyway wasn't fine did i say that you did uh, I think we ha- we brought a third person on. Did you deflect? Oh yeah. Um, all right. So when we're <clears throat> back try- to business, when we're trying to think about how to add to our inner circle to pull from the last thing, one question we should ask is, "What is in it for them?" So again, we talked about this last episode about how who not how is not a, a exploit of how can we get people to do work that we don't want to do and exploit them. And so a good question is how can I be a good who for others? And part of that is what value can I bring for them? And this goes back to, you know, focusing on what you can control because what you can control is what type of person you are and what type of value you bring. And so especially if you're trying to reach out to someone in a network to build your network professionally, personally, to grow in your career, one good rule of thumb is to never reach out to someone unless you have something meaningful to offer to them. So if you're looking for, I always tell my sales guys, you know, if you're looking for a referral, it's a good rule of thumb to go two for one, which means if you want one referral, you need to give them two. So how can you bring value to them? Because if you bring value to someone, their natural inclination is to bring value to others. Do you find that personally? Like, have you, can you think of an example of maybe you helped someone out, not because you necessarily wanted to, but because you just feel like they've helped you out so much? that you almost feel like obligated or it becomes natural where maybe at first you didn't want to help them out, but then it's like, man, they've been such a value to me. I want to help them. I can't think of an example of that, but I can think of people that if they called me up and asked, can I do something? I'd be like, yes, right now I would do it. Like, because I feel a sense of buy-in, like they've, they have helped me so much. I would do things for them. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think part of this this chapter is, is not only like thinking from a selfish perspective of like, okay, how can I bring value for others so they can bring more value for me, right? It's like changing your mindset to becoming a giver. So um, on page 115, it says, givers succeed in a way that creates ripple effects, enhancing the success of people around them. So it's like when you become a giver, it's like we talked about, in the previous episode about giving credit and the second part of that is taking blame like when you adopt that lifestyle of you're just out there to give 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 as much as you can it makes it much easier for people to naturally hop on board and see how they can help become your who's and ventures that you have if you do what we talked about in the last episode which is clearly define your goal and be persuasive and articulate about what it's going to take to hit that goal yeah one of the things that they bold they put in bold text was don't reach out to someone unless you have something meaningful to offer them. So the key word there is meaningful. Okay. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So he tells a story on page 113 about a guy who went to a Richard Branson, the virgin, the virgin guy. Um, Okay. So he has a charity dinner, Richard Branson. And for a $15,000 donation, this guy got a special dinner invitation. So he went to the special dinner invitation 
And I'm going to read this quote because it's interesting. At the dinner, while some people were trying to extract as much value as they could from Richard, Joe sought to add value to Richard. And so Joe shared an idea with him that involved, you know, helping him with a particular cause. And I wrote down, I was like, okay, that this is a cool story. The premise of the story is this guy, Joe, was at dinner with a bunch of other people. Those people were trying to get as much value out of Richard because they paid a bunch of money to get an invitation, blah, blah, blah. Joe instead was like, how can I add value to Richard? And so Richard has a, a particular project and he, this guy, Joe, offers some suggestions and advice, ends up getting Richard Branson's personal email address and ends up being able to do a ton with Richard Branson. I read this, I'm like, man, what a really good feel-good story. But how often are you one of those people at the table and there's some schmuck down at the end trying to act like a know-it-all saying, well, Richard, have you tried this approach to your particular project? And how do you balance giving value with overstepping your bounds? And that's where it's like on the next page where it says, don't reach out to someone unless you have something meaningful to offer them. Yeah, meaningful is the key word. Meaningful is the key word. So like this guy, Joe, was his heart, like I'm meaning, I'm really trying to have an abundance mindset and help Richard Branson. So that's why I think this chapter really ties a lot of our episodes and a lot of the books we've read together so far, which is, you're not going to have anything meaningful if you're at the table trying to come up with what, what do I have that I can offer this person, right? But it's like if your habits over the last X amount of time has consistently been working at one thing and that one thing happens to fit a need that the person that you're trying to talk to has, well, then it's like, okay, someone could look at that conversation and be like, oh, well, that guy got lucky, right? Because he got to meet Richard Branson at a dinner and he and had $15,000 to donate. Right, and had $15,000 to donate and had a skill that he was really good at that happened to be a, a need that Richard, Branch, Richard Branson happened to have, right? But it's like so much work went into that to get to that place where that, where that was an option because it had been very easy. Like you said, he certainly wasn't the only person that pitched Richard Branson on something, right, or gave him an idea. But it's like he worked to become an expert at one thing. And then when an opportunity arose where it's like I said at the beginning that like, okay, does the outfit, does it make sense? Does it fit? Is it too baggy? Is it too loose? Is it functional? It's like he happened to be at a relationship that was functional, that made sense and was able to bring some value because he also had been working on himself and was an expert in a field. And so it's very easy to look at that, roll your eyes and be like, oh, he got really lucky. But it's like, you'll never get lucky if you have nothing valuable to offer and you don't know how to articulate that well, and you don't know what your valuable, what your valuable like item to offer is. Yeah. You say this and I keep on quoting you. Hopefully that helps your ego. Uh, I'm going to eventually take offense to this. I don't think that I, I think that I'm working really well on me. Well, ego. you already got offended that I didn't give you credit. I for didn't, the meme. I didn't get offended, nor did I say that. I said, okay, I pointed to that. That, um, oh shoot, what is it? It's like, um, you're only as good in, at game time as you are practicing, something like that. So you got to practice for how game you time. practice is how you play. Okay. So, okay, if I take that point, apply it to this, it's like, okay, he must have been practicing this particular thing, thing that he's an expert in. And then this dinner with Richard was game time. Yep. And then he performed. My, you know, I shared that with my wife. So my wife is, just finished her second novel and she's taking part of a writer's conference this weekend and she has the opportunity to pitch to agents and she's real nervous about pitching um, her book to these agents. And I said, I said, well, first of all, practice with me. And, and basically she was finding some disclaimers. Oh, well, they're not like a super good fit agent wise. Like they're not my dream agents. And I was like, well, then that's fine. They, they can be practiced because what happens if you, if your first at bat was your dream agent and you've never right. pitched anyone before, right? Uh, your probability for success is diminished. So it's like, might as well practice with these people now so that when the time comes that you have that elevator pitch with a dream agent, you've at least had a couple of repetitions under your belt. Um, yeah, and I think that's a really good point is you don't know when that right fit is. So you need to be ready for that opportunity when it presents itself and you need to be constantly looking. And the way you're looking isn't a selfish, how can I find people to help me? How can I find people to help me? But how can I continually give value to people 
And then eventually I will give value to the right person and doors will open up or opportunities will present themselves. And you could maybe be listening to this role in your eyes saying like, oh, that doesn't happen in the real world or that's an elitist view or, you know, that's from privilege or whatever, you know, again, focus on what you can control, right? What you can control is what you're doing good at and how you can offer that to others. Yeah. So it says focus on the what you can do for them mindset. Do people have that mindset? Like, unless you're committed to the what's in it for them mindset and continue to nurture your relationships, you're going to burn bridges along the way on your on your success. Like, and it's not just your bosses; it's also your staff. Yep. Um. Okay, so this is where I think I said this in the last episode. I talked about like you talking about status, et cetera, and I, I really thought about you with this, where it says, "Okay, many people desire to be liked." Now that's me and have status, okay, that's you, more than they desire simply to do good work. Okay, so and that's, the, that, that's literally in my job right now. I just started three weeks ago. So is my motivation to do good work and add value to every single person I'll be working with, or is it to be liked? And then it goes on. Um, when, you're, when status is your focus, then once you've obtained the status you want, you'll rest on your laurels. You'll ride the fumes of your former successes and stop being as useful or concerned for others. I mean, golly, that hit home. Yeah, I, I think um, like that's a really, really good point. And I see that a lot in people our age where they start to get some accomplishments under their belt. And then they're like cashing in on that experience and they think that they can ride that the rest of their life. Like I've arrived, I can stop working hard, I can stop doing this, I can stop focusing on learning or whatever. And it's like, that's not how it works because you're going to get left behind. Yeah, like the truth is, if you did something amazing 10 years ago, nobody really cares. Or if they do care still, less people care. And also there's people doing amazing amazing things today. Yeah, you know, that's one of the like original ideas that I that I thought of when we started talking about forming the podcast is what's different about us. We haven't arrived and we're not coasting on a status of like look at what we've accomplished 10 years ago. Now, we'll tell you how to get there. It's like, "Hey, look at what we're trying to accomplish in the and we're not there. Like we're not cashing in on our status. It's like we're saying we're in the trenches. Would you like to join us as we continue to go and grow?" Okay, so I agree with that. I would also say we've accomplished a lot. And I think that gives us a starting point of being able to add initial value. So I I think that we could add value through our learnings from day one and then continue to learn. It's not like, hey, we can stop our journey and add value forever. The truth is we're going to run out of value. People will catch up. Like People are way ahead of us too. But I do think there's something to be said in that like, We've done a lot. We've accomplished a lot. We can share what we've learned, but also we're in the middle or the beginning of a journey. Yeah, I think it's less of like cashing in on status and more of like, hey, here's experiences that we've had that we don't have to have again. You know, I just had a meeting with my leadership team. Uh, Someone on my team is looking to hire someone and I have a pretty lengthy interview process that we've implemented uh, that I definitely didn't learn. I learned from people way smarter than me and I've taken a lot of classes on it. And we got to the final step of the process, which is called the defense, which is where we all get in a room and the person that wants to hire the person defends why they want to hire it. And so someone wears a black hat and we, we got all the way in and, and it's, you know, when you're hiring someone, you spent several hours, tons of hours, tons of time and resources. It's like, you want this to work. And we ended up, deciding not to go move forward with this person on the in the defense so i was like the you know the the last like it's midnight you know it's like that's the last second pull out yeah and i was talking to them and a couple of the people in the decision making process are younger leaders they've never hired someone and i was like i can promise you it's better to pull out and start like start over from scratch you know and it may be taking you a month to get here it's way better to do that than to hire the wrong person that isn't going to be successful in the role. It's not that the person was bad. It's just the person wasn't going to be successful in the role. And it's no fun to hire someone that's not successful in the role and either have to exit with them in three months or have them slowly exit themselves, right? Like that's not a fun experience. So it's like 
that's not my status saying, oh, I'm the CEO. You listen to me. It's, hey, I have some experience in this. Let me help you skip this headache. Let me give you some advice. And then you make your own decision. And then they ended up making the decision not to move forward. But it's, it's, it's like, hey, I've been through this. Let me help you not have to go through this if you just trust me. So it's like bringing value in an area that they just didn't have experience. And I think that's that's that comes down to like understanding how you can bring value to others because sometimes bringing value to others is just listening to them. Mm. Like one of the quotes on page 116 uh, is attributed to someone named William James. I don't know who that is off the top of my head, but it says the deepest craving of human nature is the need to be appreciated. And I think, you know, that's one reason why it's so interesting. Uh, there's so many people in especially millennials in 21st century America that just don't feel appreciated. They don't feel valued. They don't feel heard. They don't have that path. They don't have that avenue. And I think that's one thing. It's not, I mean, one thing that I feel like is attributed to my success is I feel like I've always had at least one person in my life that really valued me, that really appreciated me. And, um, you know, that's seasonal. Some people certainly have appreciated me more in seasons of my life than others, et cetera. But it's like having people around you to feel appreciated as I'm getting older and I'm not very old, but as I'm getting older and taking more responsibility, I'm learning that that's really all I need to move forward is just know that someone is appreciating me and that appreciation can be very private. Um, it doesn't need to be like this public like adoration, right? It's like, hey, someone's appreciating me. Someone genuinely cares for me. That's enough to keep me going. Well, two things. Is that not inherently selfish if what keeps you going is the fact that you're appreciated or is it that you're actually giving value to someone? Well, yeah, I think that genuine appreciation comes from genuine value. But then also some people just have gifts of appreciation like, like people can, some people are just naturally better at appreciating other people than okay, others. Okay, so you're saying you can measure the extent of the value you bring to others by how much they're appreciating you, or that's one indicator of success. I'm saying that I can look at a few people in my, key people in my life professionally that I know appreciate the work that I'm doing, and that keeps me working early, working hard, and working through really really hard things is not the status is definitely not the pay it's hey there's people that know that i'm in their corner and that i'm pushing value to them and they genuinely appreciate that okay point number two william james is an american philosopher and is known as the father of american psychology Mm. did you just google that i did um one day we're going to have someone in the studio that Google things for us. I'm very excited. Who can be that person? One way that you can begin shifting into a mentality of bringing value to others is through gratitude. And they talk about this. I really, I circled a bunch of this and it's a really good thing for me to apply, which is, um, okay, I'll read a quote. Self-made is an illusion. So here we are being like, your future is your property, but self-made is an illusion. How do we balance that? Well, um, I mean, I think both, I mean, both are, I don't think those are like mutually exclusive statements. So your future is your property. Like you're responsible for what your future looks like. You own it. You're supposed to tend to it. That's how I read it. Like you're responsible to, you're responsible for the upkeep. Sometimes that's paying taxes. Sometimes that's mowing the grass. Sometimes that's tending the field. No one else is responsible for that. It's yours. Like your future is your responsibility. It's not mine. And then what was the second quote? Well, the second quote is self-made. No one's self-made. So it's like, it's like, let's talk about my physical property. My, I have an HOA. My grass has to stay short. It is my responsibility because it's my property to keep it short. Do I cut my own grass? No. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not tracking. So it's like, my future is my property. I'm responsible for it. But am I self-made? Am I getting to my future by myself? No, I have a whole team around me. Like I don't have this house and this property and upkeep it and it's all me and it's all up. It's it's me doing it all, but it is up to me because it's my property and I own it. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I see it like maybe that analogy doesn't. I, I see it like I see it like this. It is yours. So you you hit the nail on the head when you were like, your future is your property in regards to no one is responsible to you other than yourself. However, there are people on your life journey that likely have added value to you. And also, I mean, like it goes both ways. There's people in your life journey that have probably been a detriment, but also people that have been helping you and adding value. This particular section is talking about gratitude. Like, okay, if we increase the gratitude in our lives and in our mindset, we'll begin to think like, hey, man, I'm so thankful for this person and this person or this thing and this thing. And that will move you into a posture of adding value to others. But I was reading this and I was thinking, man, I really want to put more gratitude in my life. But I also want to balance these two quotes, which is like, other people helped me get to where I am today, but also I get to where I am today. <laughs> you know, like my future is my own, but also other people will help me. Yeah, the way I read the quote of my future is my property and maybe I'm reading into the analogy too much is like it's not my future is my own and it's up to me. It's I'm the only one responsible for my future. So like other people may need to help me, but it's my responsibility to make sure those other people are helping me get to my future. Or asking for help. Right, or asking for help. And so like even, you know, we talked about last podcast about this book like this book took someone a lot of hours to write it took us two hours to read right so like a posture of gratitude would be like man i am so thankful that not only are people out there successful in business but they're willing to take the time to write a book because that takes a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice to do and i am happy to pay them money for it and add value to their life to receive this but now it's like part of my future being my own is or my future being my property is I want to read a lot and be well read because I feel like that helps me make better decisions. It helps me see the world differently. It helps me gain different perspectives, but I need to be thankful that people take the time to write books because I think it's easy to be cynical to be like, Oh, someone's writing a book to it's a cash grab. Right. Or, Oh, they're so, I mean, is there money? Like I have no do they idea. make money in this. I have no idea. I, I, I would think it's tough to make money on one book. Yeah. Dan Sullivan's a pretty prominent dude has wrote several books. So like, John Maxwell definitely makes a ton of money on books. Sure. So not everyone makes money on books, but also it's like books is a sustain, like writing a book takes a substantial amount of time. Yeah. Like, okay. So I don't know what I spent on this call it $15. The profit margin, let's say they make two bucks, $2 profit to share this knowledge with me. I mean, my gosh, is there another, another time in human history where knowledge was so accessible? Uh, no. But also, it's terrifying because now it's too much knowledge that's acceptable. And how do you vet what knowledge is good? And that is why I go books over the internet. Because the internet, the 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 gate is too Yeah, open. the barrier to entry is lower to write a blog. Anyone can write a blog. Yeah, anyone can write a blog. But even like how I got this book in my life was I met another person who runs a company who's been running a company longer than me. We had a lot of conversations. He asked me what I read, what like what I'm reading. I, you know, we started talking about books. He's like, have you read this book? I was like, no, he bought a copy of the book and mailed it to my house. Yeah. So to me, that's social proof. So part of how you validate if something is valuable is do other people say it's valuable? And in the age of information where we have access to all, or at least we think we have access to all, but a lot, that's a way that you add value. Sharing what is impactful is a way of bringing value. It's a premise of this podcast sharing things that are valuable. It is my posture with this. I want to bring value to other people. Yeah, so so look at that quote that I read earlier. Givers succeed in a way that creates a ripple effect, enhancing the success of other people around them. So it's like, okay, Dan Sullivan and uh, this, the guy who actually, Dan Sullivan didn't actually write this book. He talked about this premise and someone that attended his conference wrote this book with the help of him. So yeah. he like put the principle into the thing, but he wrote this book, put it out there. Then someone who runs a company, read this book, found value in it, saw me, a younger, less experienced person running a company and said, this book would bring value to you. So he mailed me the book. Then I said, Tim, you need to read this book. It's awesome. You read the book. Now we're recording a podcast on it that, 
dozens of people, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe hundreds of people at this point, uh, or a hundred people at this point are listening to. That's hopefully bringing value to them. So it's like, th- like you could track this from anywhere. Like, but yeah. it's a ripple effect. So then it's like the goal would be people listen to this podcast, they read the book, then they go share it with someone. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, if you have this giver and gratitude mindset, it's like it's impossible. That's why it's like, how could you even care? How could you even conceptualize who gets credit for this conversation we're having about this book? Because you could always track it back a step further, a step further. You go to Dan Sullivan. Where did he hear about this? He didn't just like have a dream and manifest this, right? He had experiences in his life. And then those people, and then those people, it's like, like one of the things that I like to talk about sometimes is thinking about like, we're a bunch of like, conscious beings that woke up on a rock in the middle of space and have been writing things down for 400 years we've been writing things down for longer than or not 400 years, years. Golly. <laughs> like, sorry, that, it's, Fact late. Check. it's late how long writing was like i don't I know. mean hieroglyphics would have been well higher but like years. writing sure. was no writing was like philosophers were around for before writing like writing was in the early bcs google it when did we start writing oh my gosh all right it wasn't that long ago it was less than three thousand years four thousand years five thousand five hundred years ago and this is hieroglyphics oh yeah hieroglyphics don't count uh i will have to do it anyway five thousand years whatever the whole point is how could you how could this conversation be credited to anyone because it's the collective energy of do emojis mean nothing to you houston <laughs> <laughs> do you not understand a concept oh when i it wasn't you a years. select few emojis it's late um but well, you get my point like the ripple effect is like you just keep passing information and giving value and being thankful for people that give you value it's like how can you take credit in that yeah in fact exercise gratitude and think how can we bring value I mean, shoot, that's a practical application even in our own lives. Like, okay, enter into a new working relationship with a vendor, someone paying you money. How can you bring value to them? Enter into a new working relationship with where you pay money to someone else. How can you bring value to them? Um, and that mindset will move you towards, I, don't, I guess, an attitude where your network's going to grow. You're going to build bridges, that's for sure. Uh, and you're going to begin attracting more people that might become your who. So to the extent that you're able to add value to a lot of people, you've got a lot of people where you can ask, um, who can be my person that does this? If, if one day you have a vision and you haven't given value to anyone else in your life, there won't be anyone who can assist you with that vision. And that's the ultimate point of this book is your your practical like daily posture now should be adding value to everyone that you come in contact with and then that will be reciprocal reciprocal. Yeah, so how do you take that to the next level? So chapter 9 is all about how to create effective collaborations. And I think that's like the next step for that like reciprocal relationship. It's like okay, now you're not in just a relationship where you're grateful you're giving value they're giving value but you're actually collaborating on a project and the example they use uh well first the quote i like at the beginning says no matter how brilliant your mind or strategy if you're playing a solo game you always lose out to a team then it talks about tiger woods in the height of his that was freaking crazy yeah it was crazy so i didn't know that uh it talks about the relationship between a golfer that's just golf is a solo sport right it's not a team sport but it talked about well golfers have their caddy and i'm not very familiar with golf but it talked about Tiger Woods in the like early like two thousand around two thousand, and or in the height of his career, and his caddy worked with him for so long and knew him so well that for five a span of five years while he was winning all the championships, his caddy would judge how Tiger was hitting and sometimes would give him dishonest readings on how far away the flag was because he knew better than Tiger, like if he thought he was needed to shoot at 95 the caddy would say 90 because he knew his yardage was off that day because he was in a bad mood or he was you know hitting inconsistently or whatever and so this caddy was interviewed and for it talked about one championship that he ended up winning and it was the 17th hole and he was one stroke behind and needed a birdie 
and he gave a he misread the yards by 10 yards intentionally intentionally because he knew that's what tiger needed to hear to be able to hit the shot and then tiger ended up winning the tournament and it was like that blew my mind but it's like that's real collaboration of like i know your goal and what you need to achieve and i know you so well that i know what you need to hear to achieve that whether or not that's what you think you need to hear yeah he says whenever you see incredible work happening there's collaboration even if it doesn't seem so and again it ties back to like support is attracted to purpose so it's like the better you can articulate who you are and what you're trying to accomplish the easier it is to gain support another thing with collaboration and i think this is one thing that makes us fairly uh unique Uh, one of the reasons that's like we our friendship has stood the test of time in both business and personal is the ability to be vulnerable in all aspects of your life so i want to just read this like paragraph because i this is the only part of the whole book that I like dog-eared because I wanted to make sure we talked about it. Um, So he says, at some point or another, though on the way to achieving your goals, you'll get stuck. The hows you're doing might be too challenging or life will happen. The sooner you can be open and honest with those around you about how you're feeling, the sooner things can start moving forward. The worst thing you can do when you're struggling or stuck is to keep yourself is to keep it to yourself. By being vulnerable and honest about your feelings, you'll immediately be less overwhelmed. You'll be able to see your emotions differently once they are communicated openly. But also, you'll begin making progress toward the result because rather than avoiding painful emotions, you'll be committed to moving forward. And I think part of that is like there's power in admitting where you are and admitting where you're struggling and being able to see, you know, see a path forward. And I think that that is something that a lot of people don't have flushed out on their life well whether it's they don't want to look bad or they don't feel like they have anyone close to them or you know why i'm you know very pro therapy but it's like why you need a therapist to talk to is because you don't have anyone in your life to talk through these things and let people know how bad you're struggling and i think that's just such an unhealthy thing and when you have true collaboration is when you're able to have an atmosphere where you can be open and honest and talk about that. And there's a fine line between communicating what you're struggling with, with humility, seeking help, and whining. Yep. And I think that's really important, is negativity is different from vulnerability. Negativity is woe is me. Vulnerability is I need help. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, that's just a really, really important thing. In fact, the paragraph right after what you quoted was all progress starts by telling the truth. And I have been on a journey of this myself. Um, like I've been listening to a different podcast, incredible podcast. You listen to other podcasts. I know it's amazing. I've been listening to this really incredible podcast by a psychologist and, his the premise of it is like how do i say this the premise of this podcast is you can overcome emotional limitations or or roadblocks in your mind i call them mind blocks like emotional um walls by talking about it mm-hmm. and by like being honest about it yeah, so, and so I, I read this and I'm like, you know, that's, look, relational emotional issues are the same as professional re- uh, emotional issues. It's all well, the same. Yeah, I, I really I really would challenge anyone that really takes the time to separate professional and personal, where it's like, I see this all the time on TikTok too. It's like, oh, you don't understand. My job is just a paycheck. Like, it's the great resignation. Like, I can leave. Like, this job isn't important. Like, the whole, like we're a family. It's just the boss's way to pay you less. It's like, well, this is a lot, you know, this is, this is a lot of who you are. You, if you, you, you know, back to how you practice is how you play. If you're really closed off at work for a majority of your waking hours with the majority of your, the people you work with, it's like, it's very natural for you to be closed off everywhere else. And if you're very open, you're very open. And obviously work relationships have a different boundaries than personal relationships, but you know, if you're open personally with your friends about your personal struggles, it's easier to be open at work about your work struggles and, and what you're doing. And I think that's one of the reasons why 
we want to have the, or at least I want to have this podcast. Like one of the purposes of this podcast is to show people, hey, it's important to have these relationships, these collaborative relationships. It's collaborate, collaborative, yeah, collaborative, collab, collaborative, oh, collaborative relationships. That's it. Um, but it's so important for not only your professional success, but also like your mental health, your ability to move forward. And so, I mean, we can even talk about look where we're at right now. Like, do you ever think? That we're sitting in the same city and collaborative, North- collaborative, collaborative. Isn't that what I said? I think so. Okay, um, you're really pulling the the. You keep that up, and you get so busy, we we'll have to offload it. But we'll have to figure out how to pay someone to do that for us and be on the Google. <laughs> hey, who who can help us supplement our talking with fact checking and pronunciation guides? Yeah, open invitation if you can make it to Winston Salem on Monday nights, and we'll even supply the bourbon. Uh, and we'll give you your own your own setup. You we can ha- have a mic. We actually have a third mic, yeah. yeah waiting be, for you. You could be our young Jamie. Anyway, you know, I think how crazy it is that we're sitting here in Winston-Salem. Neither of us are from Winston-Salem. And we have a very collaborative, professional, and personal relationship. But it all comes down, in my mind, to all progress starts by telling the truth. Like, you know, to maybe remove some of the curtain for the podcast like because pretty much everyone that listens right now knows who we are at some point but I went through a divorce four years ago and when I went through a divorce I'm very happily married now and 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 in a really great spot but it it was a like a what would you call a a true tragedy like I was hospitalized for panic attacks because I was keeping a lot in and you know, that's what led me to accept a job in North Carolina. But I've told you this before, like I didn't accept a job in North Carolina because it was my only job option. Like when I said I wanted to move, I had a lot of people in real estate reach out saying, if you want to move here, here's this job, here's this yeah, job. You had someone out in California. Yeah. But it was like, um, but it was like, I needed a collaborative friendship of someone I could be vulnerable with to say, Hey, I need help. And in my life at that point, it, that was you. And, you know, so it's like, Hey, Let's I'll move to North Carolina. Screw it. Maybe this job works out. Maybe it doesn't. But this is what I need is this like collaborative, vulnerable relationship that was really important for me, like to live honestly. Um, and now it's like the ripple effect. It's like look at all the things that we're doing and how what our life yeah. has been like for the past four years. And now my life is literally better than it's ever been, and I'm so happy. But it's well, the good thing for me is that. I have a massive, like, if I need a massive favor, like if I if I if I come to your house disheveled in the middle of the night, knocking, saying, "I need help," I I got it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You're not gonna get out of the ten thousand dollar bet though. <laughs> so as long as the help isn't that. <laughs> hey, um, can you spot me ten k? I gotta yeah. pay off a debt. Um. My my goal is to grow my hair to my shoulders. Is never going to happen, definitively. Good. Anyway, the whole point of that is it, talking about your problems, admitting that you need help, starts you moving. Like it starts the ball moving forward. Well, and also in part of this section is that helps you gain collaboration because you're not this like. DIY do everything myself asshole who is going to bully everyone around with thinking that you're the best like know your weaknesses admit your weaknesses have having previously added value to a lot of people and then ask for help and I think that you know that's what that is a (laughs) that's a meaningful way towards gaining traction you know I think it also helps uh, people get behind you so um one of the things he says on page 138 is let's see let me start this not only will you clear your emotions but you'll get clarity needed by to be motivated you'll also realize something incredibly essential and important this is it that people in your life and on your team truly do love and care about you it's humbling to see just how much those around you care and want you to succeed it's during your moments of humility and vulnerability when you discover this and it actually increases your commitment to the team by seeing how much you're cared for you become more committed to your team. You feel an increased desire to make the absolute best work so that you can be the hero to those whom you work. 
So it's like, this can be applied to work as well, where it's like the, the moments where you're vulnerable, the moments where you're honest, the moments where you reach out for help is the moments where people can feel like they're safe to do it. So it's all like, it comes back to what we talked about last week. Like part of getting people bought in is doing the work to have a vision because people want to buy into a vision. Like I think that most people want to be able to have people in their life that truly care about them, that they can be vulnerable to. But it's kind of like that first person to make that first step to be like, let me show you my vulnerability is the heart is the hardest step. But it's like typically if you do that, it will be reciprocated with, okay, you've trusted me. Now I can trust you. Yeah. I was watching um, on Hulu, Only Murders in the Building. Is that the name of it? Something like that. It's real good. And my wife and I are really enjoying it. I've never heard of that. Um, What's it about? It's it's about a podcast. It's about a true crime podcast. So it's um, Steve Martin and um, Only Murders in the Building. Haha. <laughs> it's real popular. It just came out. Um, Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez. Really interesting. Anyway, point of it is um, they're in a, in a, they're in a building. Murder happens. They're tenants in the building. They don't believe the police report. They're huge into true crime podcasts. They decide to solve this mystery. Oh, my wife and, is going to love this. We're definitely watching. Oh, it. it's real good. And they decided to solve the mystery themselves. And then they decided to make a podcast on the journey. And it's real good. Anyway, in it, one of the characters goes on a date and, um, in the date, like he's really closed off. He's had a lot of trauma in his life and the, the girl sh- is sharing personal stuff. And then she finally gets to the point. She's like, okay, well it's your turn. And he's like, uh, my turn. And he's like, Oh, well, um, I like my dinner. And, and you can tell she starts to get hurt. And then she says, um, no s- stories. Sharing is transactional. I share something. And then you have to share something of equal or greater intimacy. And that really struck me. Isn't that a human behavioral trait? You know, like you open up and you're vulnerable about your weaknesses and then you'll be surprised about the people that you share with. Oh, now they feel free to do that again. Um, On page 136, it talks about the, the, the longer you try to perfect your idea before feedback, getting feedback. Hey, <laughs> it's like what we're asking on this podcast. We're making this podcast. Please give us feedback. We don't think it's perfect, but we're releasing it anyway. And part of that is what I'm about to read. The longer you try to perfect your idea before feedback, the slower the transformation process. Get your who's involved. Stop trying to do it all yourself. The sooner you get teamwork involved, the faster and better your work will be. Also, with encouragement, you'll work through challenges instead of procrastinating as you would naturally. Finally, get used to publishing or sending out imperfect work. Nothing is ever truly finished, only done, and done is better than perfect. Um, And then on a previous quote, 80% 80% is already getting result while the 100% is still thinking about it. That hit home too. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the, the, last, the last thing that I had on here was one of the takeaways, which is don't, you don't have all the answers. It is wise to consider yourself ignorant on most things and to seek other people's perspective and solutions. So it's like, that's also like an attractive trait for leaders, I think, and it's something that I try to step into every day, which is being super open about my shortcomings. So like, I'm a pretty open book everywhere. Like if you want to know something about me, you want to know about my failures, you want to know about my insecurities, you want to know about my struggles, like I'm pretty open to talk about that. But one of the reasons I'm open to talk about that is because I have to remind myself all the time, like I'm pretty ignorant in most things. And if I keep that mindset, it forces me to always ask the who, not the how. Like who isn't ignorant in this? Like I'm proficient in a few things. And those few things, I want to give value to people in their life but to say, hey, I'm very proficient in this area. Let me help you with that. So sometimes at work, it's like, okay, the the like MO is, okay, I'm going to delegate things. And sometimes things come up and I go, and someone's like, okay, I'll, I'll take that. And I'm like, actually, this is one of those that I think I'm like uniquely like have a strength for. I should do this. Right. Like I, I want to think about the things that I'm proficient in and the things that I excel in. But the only way I can do that is to be hyper aware of everything that I'm ignorant in. So that way I can find people that are proficient in those things that I'm ignorant in when I need help and I can go to them. And it's very easy. It's very natural. And then people just, 
I think are attracted to that. I think people like that. I think people naturally want to, I think people naturally hate answering the question, how are you doing with, I'm doing great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's just our natural thing. It's like no one cares about you is like a very easy way to feel in our technology, like technological society of like nothing is real. There are no deep connections. No one cares about your struggles. They only want to see you at your best. So show it on social media. And I think that makes people feel very isolated. It makes people feel very alone. And so many people have never had someone come alongside them and say, I see your struggles and I still like believe in you, care about you and want you to succeed. I think it's a very, very powerful thing for people to hear. It's one of the reasons why we want to have this podcast because I want to mirror the success that we've had. I want to mirror the success that I have with my inner circle at work. I want to mirror the success I've had with my wife and how all of those people I believe truly care for me. They've seen my struggles. They see my vulnerabilities and that's such a powerful place to be on the other side of. And it's a very scary step to take. I don't remember the conversation flow from how we got to being valuable to others towards admitting faults, but I like it. Yeah, it's chapter seven or chapter nine. I mean, I think, I think a little bit of journey. You know, I, I will say this at the end of the section, he says, genuinely seek to be the hero to your team. And I think that that is a a good constant reminder, whether it's to your family or to your significant other or to your workplace family, if your genuine posture is how can I add value to every single person today? Um, look, that's only going to lead you down, down good paths and, and, and change your mindset from one of, selfishness towards abundance yeah it's partly like killing your ego like you can't live this lifestyle and be like status driven egotistical has to be abundance it has to be abundance that's why we'll talk in the next in the next podcast about the the negativity of competition um but anyway this was part three of who not how and episode two of three on who not how that we're doing on this podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it and we will see you in the next one.